Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of 30 with Murdy. In this episode, we break from our normal interview format and look back on a great moment in Yankees history. On May 14, 1967, Mickey Mantle hit his 500th career home run. Today, there are 27 players in the 500 home run club. Mantle was only the sixth player in history to get there. It was on Mother's Day at the original Yankee Stadium, and this is a look back at that home run on the 50th anniversary. Mickey Mantle began his career in 1951 as a 19-year-old phenom with blazing speed and mind-boggling power from both sides of the plate. Young Mickey Mantle was a spectacular sight on the field, and there was a time when some thought he had a chance to challenge Babe Ruth's record of 714 career home runs. Consider that Mantle was only 30 years old when he hit number 400. By comparison, look at the two men who did pass Ruth's mark, Hank Aaron, who was 32 when he hit his 400th, and Barry Bonds, who was 34. By 1967, it was clear Mantle's body wouldn't allow him to go much further, but getting to 500 career home runs was a milestone that was getting some attention because, frankly, that's all the attention these Yankees were worthy of at that point. This is Al Downing, who pitched for the Yankees from 1961 to 1969. For a team that wasn't going anywhere, we really weren't going anywhere. I don't know if you remember, 66, we finished dead last in the 10-game team league. You know, we needed something like to, you know, create some kind of incitement for us. That created the excitement, the fact that Mickey's going for numbers 500. With the Yankees' dynasty days in the rearview mirror, Mantle was about to join Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Jimmy Fox, Ted Williams, and Mel Ott as the only players to reach 500 career home runs. 500 was a big number for every, anybody at that time. Remember, guys, had not that many people had gotten to 500. And, and also remember the, the, the state of the ball club. Like I said, the ball club was really like, you know, we were floundering, man. It was like, it was just, those are not good times in the Bronx. Mantle came up as Joe DiMaggio was leaving, an almost perfect changing of the guard. The two overlapped in the middle of a dynasty that won 16 World Series championships in 27 years, including five in a row from 1949 to 1953, almost perfectly split between Joe D's exit and Mickey's arrival. Mantle's last pennant-winning team was 1964. The draft was instituted the following year to spread talent more evenly and other teams were quicker to integrate than the Yankees had been. So as Mantle and the great stars of the 50s grew older in the 60s, the team struggled to keep up. Again, this is Al Downing. The Yankees had not put anybody in place to succeed Mickey like they had with Mickey to succeed Joe. You know, and So we, we were still searching for that guy. And so anything he contributed, it was like, wow, okay, he can still do it. He can still do it. Almost like we can still ride his coattails. But those coattails weren't strong enough to carry the Yankees anymore. Mantle's last great year was 64 when he hit 35 home runs. But he missed 94 games over the next two seasons and turned 35 in October of 66. Mantle had bad legs, bad knees, and a bad shoulder. He underwent a meticulous routine every day 
just to get ready to play. Joe Pepitone, Mantle's Yankees teammate from 1962 to 68, remembers seeing it. First thing he did was come in and go right into the trainer's room and take one of those whirlpools. Then on the table, get totally rubbed down his legs, 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 his hips. They put some hot stuff on all his legs up to his groin and wrapped from his ankles all the way up to his groin with these thick, thick ace bandages, you know? It's like rubber in the inside and the heart on the out. All right, just to hold his legs straight, you know? David Mantle, the second of Mickey's four sons, remembers hearing the signals from Mantle's body every morning, even in the off-season. We kind of called it our alarm clock because, you know, Dad would get up at the break of dawn and you could hear him coming down the hall or whatever, and he'd just be crack, 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 and, you know, that was his knees just cracking, and we're just going, damn. The opposing players never really knew how much work it took to get Mantle ready to play until they saw it with their own eyes, like Baltimore first baseman Boog Powell. I never ever realized, you know, how bad he was hurt until we were in, I think, an all-star game. He was taped and wrapped from his ankles to his armpits. It was amazing that he could even do anything the way he was wrapped up. And I know that he was in pain. I regret not being able to see him when he first came up. Everybody's goal was to get the first in the mantle time. Mantle time was a ridiculous 3.1 seconds from home to first from the left side of the batter's box. Those days were clearly gone, and his legs being gone had a great effect on Mantle's waning power, thought Downing. There had to be a lot of frustration of not being able to do that anymore. And it wasn't because he couldn't play anymore. It was the injuries that caught up with him. And I, I think, you know, a hitter's greatest asset his two greatest assets are his eyes and his legs. Those are your two greatest assets. And his eyes were great, but his legs hurt, you know, were, he, was, he was having, you know, progressively more and more problems with his legs, which is understandable because if you, you know, he wasn't getting, like, the treatment that you get, like, today. I mean, if he got the treatment like they had today, he probably would have played another 10 years. You know, he was struggling every year to get in shape to play on a 162-game schedule. Mantle's final seasons were painful to watch, too. He went from 35 home runs in 64 to 19 homers in 65. When I saw him strike out, he never threw his bat. He would just kind of pound his bat one time on the ground. I always figured that he was saying that in his mind probably. Because, you know, you never talk to a guy, but you just say, what would I say? Boy, I should have I should have hammered that pitch. And there seemed to be a lot of times where, you know, he was striking out on pitches he probably could have hammered, you know, especially left-handed. I, I just saw a lot of a uh, guy looking back in the past and saying, you know, I used to do this and I used to do that and I can't do it the way I'd like to do it, and maybe it's time to just bow out. But Mantle was the only show on this team, and he knew it. The pressure sometimes got to him. Pepitone saw it. We didn't have that good a team in the 60s, 70s, and, you know, like that. And Mickey wanted, you know, he, he, he just felt like he had to do good for us to win or to help us win, you know. And when he wasn't, boy, he, he didn't really take us hard. I, I'd seen him cry. Uh, you know, go down in the walkway and, and just really get mad and, and, and cry. And they came up the next time and hit one about nine other feet. You know, that's, that was Mickey. Downing said the other Yankees also knew that the fans were coming out just to see Mantle. I'm sure there were people who grew up in the surrounding areas, whether it's tri-state area or whether you're going to go as far as western Pennsylvania or, or up to, say, Rhode Island or, or down somewhere outside of Baltimore whose kids had never seen Mickey play, you know. And those are the people who were coming in. In those days, people were coming for weekends. And uh, they would come to see, they wanted to see these, these, the Yankees. Well, there were very few of the old Yankees left. You know, the one guy they really wanted to see was Mickey Mantle. They wanted to see that number seven. Trot out the center field, you know. They, they love that. 
and Pepitone noted how Mantle wasn't just out there to tip his cap and swing the bat a few times for the crowd. He was still out there playing hard for his teammates as much as his body would allow. We got the guy into left field to try to break up a double play, which you can't do anymore, but that's how he had with bad legs. I'm telling you what, there was times I didn't want to play. I was on the ties and stuff. I didn't feel right. I didn't want to, but, you know, and I remember I looked out and said, there's Mickey, you know, and I said, shit, he can do it. I got to get in there, you know? Downing said it simply became a yearly battle for Mantle to decide whether or not he wanted to keep playing. He had had that serious arm surgery, that shoulder surgery, and really it kind of like uh, curtailed a lot of his power. Every, every spring it was like, uh, you know, he was uh, vacillating whether or not, you know, I want to come back and play, I want to come back and play. And good players could understand that, so we were bringing up a lot of younger players, and he was all for it because I think he really wanted to kind of like say, maybe now, now's the time to bow out, you know. But he'd come back and he'd get in their groove and then he'd start hitting. Mantle managed to hit 23 home runs in 1966 to leave him sitting at 496 entering the 67 season, just four shy of the milestone. As the 67 season began, Mantle was playing a new position. Manager Ralph Houck, now in his second stint after managing the Yankees in the early 60s, moved Mantle from center field to first base to save some of the wear and tear on his legs. That was the idea anyway. But it didn't quite play out that way. Joe Pepitone, a gold glove winner at first base, was going to switch positions with Mantle, and he knew it could actually be harder on Mantle's legs. I remember that. That makes was at first base. I worked with him in spring training at first base, and, and he did a heck of a job. You know, he did a heck of a job. You know, it's, it's, But I, I told Ralph, I said, Ralph, I think it's, uh, it's going to hurt his legs more at first base and playing the outfield because at first base you're in on every play. You're always moving, you're always moving. You know? I mean, every play, you're following the runner, the second base, you're doing this, you're doing that. You make quick quick moves to the left and right. You know what I mean? I told Ralph that, but I was going to make you a person if you don't mind. I said, no, no, I don't mind. Mantle got off to a slow start. Ten games into the season, he was hitting just 200. Only six for 30, all singles. Pitchers still feared him a little. He had walked eight times with only five strikeouts. Mantle hit his first two home runs of the season in back-to-back games April 29th and 30th against the California Angels. Number 497 came off Jack Sanford, number 498 off Minnie Rojas. Having played only five games in September the year before, as the Yankees sunk into last place, these were Mantle's first home runs since the previous August. Number 499 came on May 3rd against Dave Boswell in Minnesota. Mantle was getting a little extra media attention as he neared the milestone, and Downing said the Yankees players loved it. He got a lot of attention as he so well deserved because of what he had accomplished. And so, you know, all the writers were there, and, you know, right away you're not thinking, you know, what's this all about? What's this all about? And then somebody goes, well, you know, he's going for number 500. And they well, well, you know, everybody's wondering, wait, that's a big number at that, at that time. The Yankees were just beginning a three-city road trip, so there was a chance that number 500 was going to be hit away from Yankee Stadium. But the baseball gods intervened. Weather kept the Yankees off the field for a full three days until a doubleheader in Kansas City, followed by a three-game series in California with the Angels. After hitting three homers in five games to reach 499, Mantle slumped again, going just two for 15 with five walks through the end of the road trip. The Yankees returned home for a weekend series against the Orioles May 12th, 13th and 14th. David Mantle remembers that his dad's legs were killing him and that wasn't helping him one bit as he tried so hard to reach the 500 milestone. His legs had been hurting and I think him trying to swing harder made him hurt more and that's why he was having such a rough time to get past that 500 and maybe he was concentrating on it too much. 
Friday, May 12th, the Yankees lost to the Orioles 14-0, and Mantle went 0-3. On Saturday, May 13th, he went 1-4 with a double and a 5-3 loss to the Orioles. Sunday, May 14th, was Mother's Day. David Mantle and his brothers stayed home in Dallas because they were still in school, but David, who was 12 at the time, remembers his dad getting some company and hoping that Mother's Day would finally be the day he cracked 500. Dad had kind of gone on a little uh, dry spell there for a while. He had been trying to get that... uh home run done, but I do remember him saying that uh, since it was Mother's Day, I think Mom was up there with him. His mom and Mom were up there, but uh, he rem- I remember him, Mom, saying that uh, he was going to hit a home run for her today because he'd been just trying to get that 500 home run, and I guess he was trying too hard because, you know, of course, every time he went up to the plate, he tried to hit a home run, and uh, I think he was trying too hard, but he said, today I'm going to do it. I'm going to get over this 500 home run barrier. <laughs> The fans were excited, too, as Mantle approached history. There were 18,872 officially in attendance that day. One of them was Richard Schiff, who was a young Yankees fan in the Bronx before growing up to become an Emmy Award-winning actor for his role as Toby Ziegler on the NBC drama The West Wing. Schiff was two weeks shy of his 12th birthday, when a close friend whose birthday was also upcoming got tickets for the May 14th game as a birthday present. Schiff was set to see the Yankees and his hero Mickey Mantle chase history. In the days and weeks leading up to that, Watching and listening to Yankees games or the close examination of the box scores of the late games the next morning became a religious ritual, hoping that somehow Mantle didn't reach that magic number 500 before May 14th. Are you kidding me? From the beginning of the season, we had those tickets, and I never, ever, ever rooted against Mickey Mantle hitting home runs. Um, and he got off to a fairly slow start. I mean, he's gotten old. But I'm, I was thinking when the season started, there's no way a month and a half in the season he's only got three home runs. I remember being very tense for quite a while and then very guiltily praying that he wasn't going to hit a home run until I got there. <laughs> um, and sure enough, uh, he was at 499. I, I remember having very mixed emotions about uh, rooting for him to hit one off the top of the wall for a double and not a home run. For Schiff and the legions of pint-sized Mantle fans, every at-bat was an event to be celebrated. Everything Mantle did, we lived and died by. And at that point in his career, he was hurt. He wasn't hitting. You know, he, I think he was in the 240s his last two years but he was old so when Mantle uh got a hit it was a big deal at this point because you know this guy who had 365 once and 353 once was struggling to get to 280 to 260 to 250 that's why we checked the box score every morning why we turned on the game everybody wanted to see Mickey's at bats even uh, even as he got older and and more hurt you know because you can get a hold of one the Orioles starter that day was Steve Barber and Mantle had some success against him, four home runs and a two ninety eight average in 57 career at-bats. Mantle reached on an error his first time up, and the Yankees knocked Barber out in the first inning by taking a 3 nothing lead. Wally Bunker came in from the bullpen, and Mantle singled off him his second time up, then popped up his third time up. Mantle was 1-for-3 now with a single, with the Yankees leading 5-4 to four after six innings. The third Orioles pitcher into the game was Stu Miller. Stu Miller was no picnic for Mantle. A 39-year-old right-hander, Miller broke into the majors in 1952, one year after Mantle. Miller threw harder in his early days, but by now was a classic junk baller whose claim to fame in 15 big league seasons to that point was getting blown off the mound by a gust of wind at Candlestick Park in San Francisco during the 1961 All-Star Game. Still, Miller had a good career. He led the National League in ERA in 1958, led the American League in appearances once, and led 
each league in saves before it was an official statistic. Miller's style, throwing change-ups off his change-ups, wasn't exactly what Mantle was looking for, just two for 14 against him lifetime entering the Mother's Day game. This is Al Downing's scouting report. Stu Miller was not the easiest guy to bat against because he, I don't know if he much, knew much about how he pitched, but he, he threw a lot of off-speed pitches, a lot of knuckleballs, and he wasn't going to go right there and, and just challenge you. And so with a guy who doesn't have his timing down exactly anyhow, I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. Baltimore's Boog Powell was well aware of Mantle's struggles against Miller. Yeah, he'd had a lot of trouble with Stu, too. We used to call him Bullet because he threw so, so, threw so slow, you know. He didn't hit Stu very well. Not many guys hit Stu Miller very well. I mean, Yogi would swing three times before the ball even got there. It was, it was funny. And Mickey, Mickey would have some hellacious rips, I mean, and just sit there and shake his head and go, how the hell did I miss that? Perhaps Yankees reliever Dooley Womack said it best. He threw slower, even slower, and even slower than that. One for three on the day, Mantle stepped in and gets Miller with two outs and nobody on base in the bottom of the seventh inning. And he went up to the plate with Joe Pepitone's bat. Yeah, Mickey wasn't, wasn't hitting the ball well. And I told him, I said, hey, Mick, you know, I said, uh, try my bat. Because he always liked that type of model bat. He was like an M110 and all that stuff. And I, my model was that same thing, a pin a handle. I, and it was a little lighter than what Mickey used. Mickey used like a 35-inch bat uh, around 34 to 36. About five ounces, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I said, Mitch, why don't you try this? Mine was like about 32, 30, 35 inches, uh, uh, 32 ounces, 32 and a half ounces. With Mantle's previous struggles against Miller and the weight of the milestone in mind, it was obvious to everyone, including Womack, how hard Mantle was swinging. You could see number seven, and it was almost like uh, when he was swinging that he could almost rip that shirt off. The Orioles had Mantle, who was batting lefty, shifted around on the infield, three men on the right side. 1967, they didn't use advanced metrics. They simply used the logic of knowing the hitter they were facing and which pitcher was on the mound. This is Orioles' second baseman that day, Davey Johnson. Stu Miller had the world's greatest changeup, no question about it. And at one time, he threw like 90 miles an hour, but his changeup had an uncanny ability not to drop. It just seemed to kind of float the greatest changeup I've ever seen in my life. So that's his out pitch. There's almost no possibility that you can hit that changeup the other way. So, I mean, that's we were going to be over there. I mean, we probably weren't playing high enough, but we were playing on the right side of the field. Mantle ran the count full, swinging and missing wildly on a 3-1 pitch, and then fouling off the first 3-2 offering. Mantle swung at the next 3-2 pitch, down and away. Picture a swing like Kirk Gibson's off Dennis Eckersley, and it left the park in a flash. That was it, number 500. The crowd knew it right away, including 11-year-old Richard Schiff. Oh my God, he hit a line drive. He hit a high line drive, about 12 rows in, down the right field line. Uh, no question it was going to be fair, although it was... It was pulled down the line, and as soon as he hit it, I was on my feet. And uh, everyone in the stadium, as I recall, was on their feet. Teammates celebrated in the dugout, including pitcher Dooley Womack. When Mick uh, hit that uh, home run, we were so ecstatic in the dugout because we felt that, hey, a lot of pressure had been relieved. This is Joe Pepitone. He had a standing ovation for about an hour. You know, if he hit the home run, of course, everybody knew it because it was on the board and all that stuff, you know. And 
And when he did it, I remember the stadium was shaking, you know. I mean, you could, the old stadium, you sit in the dugout, you felt vibrations of people would think you hit a home run or something. But I remember Mickey was coming in and he just went by and everybody just, you know, jumping on him. And I think it was just a lot of pressure off him, you know. It's something that he really wanted to do. Schiff, sitting with his friend along the third baseline, about 20 rows off the field, remembers Mantle's trip around the bases. You know, he limp-trotted around the bases, and we were, I, you know, cheering and crying. <laughs> or at least I was, uh, and it lasted for quite a while. Womack and the other Yankees forced Mantle back out for a curtain call, almost like Roger Maris, after his 61st home run in 1961. The lower step, he, he sort of jumped, turned, and uh, landed on the uh, seat in the dugout. And, of course, all of us were saying, Mick, go out and acknowledge, you know, acknowledge your uh, 500th, which he did. And Elston Howard went up. Uh, he was coming to bat afterwards. And Elston said that's the first time he'd ever had 22,000 standing ovation. And then Mantle told Womack how surprised he was at hitting the home run in that particular at bat. He said after uh, he hit the ball, he said, I can't believe I hit that pitch off for Stu Miller. In a 2009 interview with the Baltimore Sun, Miller said, in five years, that's the only homer he hit off me, a 3-2 pitch low and away. Only two guys ever hit that pitch out, him and Stan Musial. The Yankees had a 6-4 lead now. Elston Howard flew out to end the inning, and the Yankees took the field for the eighth. Womack, who had come on in relief of Mel Stottlemyre in the sixth inning, threw his warm-up pitches. After he hit that home run, uh, when I went to the mound, now this is going to sound a little weird, but uh, I felt like I was going to cry. Because, you know, you're just so happy for this guy, you know, to have that 500th home run. And uh, anyway, uh, I warm up. Once I finished my warm-up, I went behind the mound and I said, Dooley, you got to get your act together. You got to get these guys out, which I think I was lucky enough to do. Womack gave up an unearned run in the eighth, unearned because of two errors in that inning, one by Mantle at first base, and then he set down the side one, two, three in the ninth, striking out Mark Belanger to end the game, a six to five Yankees win. Womack went the final three and a third and was the winning pitcher. After the game, uh, we're in the uh, clubhouse. And I was normally the last one out. Uh, Mick came over and uh, shook my hand and said, Dooley, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to celebrate my 500th. If we hadn't won, it wouldn't have been any fun. The Batman I'll used ended up in the Hall of Fame thanks to the Yankees PR director, Bob Fischel. But remember, it was Pepitone's bat. And I remember I grabbed that bat because it was my bat, and I put it in my locker, and I remember Bob Fischel came in my locker and took the bat while I was there and uh, gave it to the Hall of Fame. I still want a bat so I can make some money. Don't worry. He's only joking, we think. Mantle actually went on a bit of a tear after getting that 500-pound gorilla off his back. Starting on Mother's Day, Mantle went 9 for 24 and hit five home runs in six games. But the rigors of the baseball season were just too much for him to keep it up. Mantle finished 1967, batting just 245 with 22 home runs. And in 1968, he batted 237 with 18 home runs. Mantle announced his retirement the following spring. Mickey Mantle finished his career with 536 career home runs, which at the time was good for third on the all-time list behind only Babe Ruth 
and Willie Mays. And that's a fact that people close to Mantle still hold dear, the family included. This is David Mantle. People would ask me, of course, you know, your dad's hit 536 now, and, you know, he's, you know, third on the list. I said, yeah, and I said, you know, to me that was pretty cool, you know. And, of course, we weren't really allowed to brag about it because that's just the way we were raised and everything. But, you know, inside, I was very proud. Of course, those final two seasons were below Mantle's standards for overall play. And as the story has been told many times, what bothered Mantle the most was watching his career batting average fall to 298. I know I was a 300 hitter, he used to lament. Mantle was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1974. He was a regular at Yankees Old Timers Day for two decades after that. Mantle's drinking took its toll on his health. In 1995, he received a life-saving liver transplant. Although the fix was only temporary, Mantle passed away in August of 1995 at just 63 years of age. Mantle's flaws have been well documented, most of them stemming from his years of alcohol abuse. It didn't keep anyone that knew Mantle from holding him in the highest regard, like his teammate, Julie Womack. Mick meant uh, a lot to me. Uh, like I said, uh, he was my uh, idol, and he always will be. Uh, I was going to church uh, one Sunday morning, and uh, uh, outside of uh, my church, I uh, they said, we lost an icon this morning. And I said, please don't let that be Mick. And it was. And I sat there and cried before I went in. I mean, he just meant so much uh, to the game of baseball, to the Yankees and all. And uh, regardless of what people have said or written about him, like I said, he will always be my idol. Stu Miller passed away in 2015. In that 2009 interview with the Baltimore Sun, Miller said, I get letters every day asking me to sign Mantle's picture. What the hell? It's better than being not known. The ball itself has been met with some controversy. According to David Mantle, it currently sits in Mickey Mantle's Steakhouse, a restaurant in Oklahoma City. The ball was supposedly up for auction in 1999 from a man who bought a collection of Mantle memorabilia from a friend of Mickey's, Harold Youngman. However, David Mantle told me he drove to Youngman's office with his father years before during a golf outing to take back a few items, including the real 500th home run ball. The confusion caused the item thought to be the 500th ball to be pulled from the 1999 auction. David Mantle says the real ball is in his family's possession, and you can visit it at their restaurant in Oklahoma City. The bat Mantle used... Joe Pepitone's bat is surrounded by less controversy. It currently resides in Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame's One for the Books exhibit. Another piece of mantle memorabilia vanished with the demolition of the old stadium. Marty Appel is a former Yankees PR director and author of the book Pinstripe Empire, as well as biographies of Thurman Munson and recently Casey Stengel. The Yankees had a, a little plaque. It wasn't more than, say, 14 inches high to uh, honor the 500 home run. And they put it on the nearest post uh, from where the ball landed. So that was a nice moment, and I got to participate in that, at least in the sense of being out there when it was being hung prior to it being announced. And then when the uh, stadium came down after the 73 season, the plaque vanished, and <laughs> it became a forgotten relic of the stadium because I never saw it mentioned it wasn't the only thing that vanished, but the 500 home run plaque, I have no idea whatever became of it, and I've never seen anybody say whatever happened to that plaque, as though it was not a, 
well-remembered part of the stadium. Mantle's 500th home run would turn out to be the last great moment at the original Yankee Stadium, which was remodeled from its original configuration after the 1973 season. And remember, these Yankees wouldn't begin winning championships again for another decade. Mantle's 500th on Mother's Day in 67 is still a vivid memory 50 years later because of who Mantle was in the lives of Yankees fans growing up in the 50s and 60s. This is Richard Schiff. Mantle was a cultural uh, hero for us kids, so for me to be there for that home run was an exceptional experience that I'll never forget. Plus, he also got a single, so he was two for four that day. That was a big deal. Opposing players were in awe of Mantle's presence. Baltimore's Boog Powell won two World Series rings and an MVP award. A very good career, yet he still speaks of Mantle as if he were talking about a boyhood hero rather than a contemporary. It was just a thrill being on the same field. When he'd get a base hit and come down to first base and he would speak to me, I just went, wow, Mick's talking to me, you know? And I thought that, I thought that was pretty cool. Yankees players like Dooley Womack were thrilled to call Mantle their teammate. I was always a Mick fan, uh, still am, always will be. As far as I'm concerned, uh, he was the greatest. That's a look back at Mickey Mantle and his 500th career home run hit 50 years ago this week. I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.